It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner behind the glass, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And we have an outstanding Tuesday lineup for you today at 3.30. We'll be talking to Terrence McCutcheon. And Terrence McCutcheon is a 1990 seven or 1998 graduate of LaFleur High School, and he played basketball for Robert Bettis there, but he is in the Division II Women's Final Four and has taken Catawba women's basketball to the first Final Four in the history of that school, and he's based out of North Carolina, but they'll be playing on CBS this week during the Final Four for Division II. He will be joining us at 3.30 at 4 o'clock. We'll be joined by Chris Gordy at 4.30. The Hall of Famer, Tim Brando, will be joining us. And, of course, at 5.30, it is National Athletic Trainer Month. We'll have Stacy Harrelson, the head athletic trainer at UMS Wright, joining us at 5.30. So looking forward to having an outstanding final drive here today and. Michael Bronner, good afternoon, and I know that it's been a busy 24 hours for Nick Saban because Alabama started spring practice yesterday, and he addressed the media for the first time and had some very interesting comments that were paralleled and compared to one Nate Oates comment. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting firestorm of a night on Twitter yesterday. I I think a lot of people had their takes as to exactly what Nick Saban meant by uh, wrong. There is no such thing as wrong place at the wrong time. We'll, we'll play both audio clip, the original, uh, you know, unfortunate Nate Oates clip and, and as well as uh, the entire full context Saban clip and, and, and kind of let y'all judge for yourself as, as to what was meant by each. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, certainly at least at first glance, Last night, it, it, it didn't I, – I mean, how, how how could it not seem that way? Well, when you heard his first comments, and we are going to play those comments here momentarily, and what you'll have an opportunity to listen to is Nate Oates' comments, his original comments coming out of practice as the Alabama Crimson Tide were getting ready to prepare for South Carolina back in January. And then, of course – Nick Saban's comments that he made at the podium in front of the media yesterday in regards to Tony Mitchell getting arrested late last week. And we'll go ahead and play those comments now. We've been fully cooperating with law enforcement the entire time. I mean, it's the whole situation's sad. I mean, you just think of it. We team close practice with a prayer for the situation today. Again, knowing that we had this trial today, I mean, you think of Jamia and her family and Kane, really think about 
or some cane that was left behind. So it's sad. We did, we knew about that. I mean, you know, can't control everything anybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. College kids are out. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any trouble, type of trouble in this case. It's like in the wrong spot at the wrong time. So we'll, we'll address it when uh, I'm sure NBA scouts will ask. They do their homework. But yeah, I only think the article that it came out and also stated Brandon's been interviewed. You know, they're comfortable with everything that they have in there. And now, after you heard Nate Oates' comments that he made back in January, you'll get a chance to hear Coach Saban's comments that he made yesterday after their first spring practice. Uh, Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team on all team activities until we gather more information about the situation and what his legal circumstance is. And, um, you know, I mean... Guys, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing in being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around, and what you do, who you associate yourself with, and uh, the situations that you put yourself in. So um, it is what it is, but uh, there is, you know, cause and effect when you make, you know, choices and decisions that uh, put you in bad situations. So. Well, there's the parallel. Choices and decisions, right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. Bottom line is we're dealing with both of these coaches talking about time and talking about the decisions that young student athletes made, whether it be incorrect or correct. I think the legal system will ultimately judge that. And, again, Tony Mitchell, innocent until proven guilty. And I think that because Nick Saban took the stance to go ahead and suspend him indefinitely, I think that that's what a lot of people nationally wanted to see happen with Brandon Miller, even if it was just for one or two games. They wanted to see some type of response. And, of course, with Coach Oates coming in, misspeaking again Alabama not handling it with the greatest PR like they should have handled it but coach Saban's going to speak his mind there's a couple of things that you're going to get out of that you you know first and foremost I said it yesterday you're not going to get a depth chart from him but he immediately addressed the Tony Mitchell situation and I think that you have to because it's been said that Tony Mitchell was driving at 141 miles per hour I, I don't know. I think it was in Florida, and I know that the Daytona 500 is in Florida, but he wasn't racing the Daytona 500, Mike, and that's the problem. Well, a small part of what Tony Mitchell's problem is now becoming. No, if what – I mean, we'll let the legal process play out, but if, if what Tony Mitchell is accused of is true, there's no uh, there's no gray area there. there. There's no wrong place at the wrong – and I understand what Saban is saying, preaching accountability and all that, uh, but the guy was driving 140 miles an hour with uh, an illegal firearm and, and and half a pound of weed in the car. Uh, there's no – again, there's no gray area there. There's no there, – there, whereas – and again, I, I think this Ryan Phillips thing has kind of muddied uh, – the moral waters here a little bit with with the Brandon Miller situation uh and, and it's 
possible that maybe we would the, I mean the story could be entirely different had had Brandon Miller not been there I I don't know I mean there's so many layers here but it, it, it's a little hard for me to believe that Nick Saban uh, it, it, kind of both sides, both extremes here are a bit hard for me to believe. One, that he would be so reckless with his word choice if, if, if he knew it and, and intentionally throw a shot at Nate Oates during, you know, a, a, what is hoped to be a historic run for Alabama basketball. But, I mean, at the same time, to be so unaware of, of what that phrase specifically is in the the media firestorm it's it's going to set off i i i, I don't know I, I it is disappointing from coach from 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 a guy who's supposedly the most calculated man in in college sports i mean he he every move he makes is is not without extreme thought not without extreme you know cause like cause like he said cause and effect i well saying this has a cause and effect. And again, I, I struggle to believe, given the fact he was at the Alabama game sitting courtside three days after the comment was made by Nate Oates, uh, I struggle to believe he he's throwing a shot a month later. But I, I, I don't know. I, I I also think he's he knows more than he lets on in the in the world of social media and all that. Like he, he knows Nate Oates said that. And I understand that's his philosophy and teaching accountability, and it's always been his philosophy, and it's a good one. To ha- like, the initial headline, I think it was Mike Rodak, the first one I saw, uh, saying Nick Saban saying there's no such thing as wrong place at the wrong time, looked a lot worse than the full quote plays. Because the full quote, I mean, you can't really disagree with anything he says. But at the same time, it's like to use that phrase is uh, is unfortunate, especially after this Ryan Phillips article comes out where – as it turn, if everything in that Ryan Phillips article is to be believed, the initial Nate Oates statement, which looked bad at the time, is on is not as bad as it appeared at surface level. So there's just so many layers to this one. Well, at the same time, you know, not comparing what Brandon Miller did bringing a gun to a scene or having a, a gun in his car, we're comparing the fact that. Nick Saban made a comment in regards to no such thing as being at the wrong place at the wrong time because that's what Nate Oates said a couple of months ago is, you know, college kids sometimes are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And with that parallel, yes, you can make it, but was Saban's wording, it's going to be used against Nate Oates because, like you said, what Nick Saban says is very calculated and I said it when Nate Oates made the comments a couple of months ago. He should have taken a page out of Nick Saban's handbook yeah. to pause, to think about what you want to say. I'm not going to comment it at the, on it at this time. But w- the only comparison that you have is that of what Nick Saban made in regards to being at the wrong place at the wrong time and having accountability for that being said again there's like i said there's no gray area with what tony mitchell is being accused of so yeah if tony mitchell came into nick saban's office after being arrested driving 140 miles an hour with a half a pound of weed in his car then yeah if he came went in and used the excuse wrong i was coach i was in the wrong place at the wrong time well you'd look at him like he he has two heads and he's crazy 
Because, because I mean, that's that's just a foolish thing to say at that point. Whereas, I again, I, to compare the two situations, I, I I don't think Nick Saban is that foolish. I, I I just I just don't. At the same time, I I I wish he would have been a bit more calculated with his choice of words. I I I just I can't believe that he would he would throw a pot shot like that. At Nate Oates, a month after the comment is said, and I know he, you know, Nick Saban doesn't talk to the media every day, so it's it's you know the timeline is is whatever there. But again, he was at the Alabama game, sitting courtside, showing his support three days after the comment is made. Uh, so whether he agreed or disagreed or or, or whatever, probably I'm sure he does disagree with the way at the time Nate Oates handled it. But I, I that doesn't mean he's going to publicly go at him. I mean. That doesn't benefit the University of Alabama brand, which Nick Saban is all about. That doesn't benefit anyone. Uh, I understand he doesn't want to get lumped in with the media coverage that has been Alabama basketball for the past two months, but Nick Saban is the University of Alabama. As For as successful of a season as the, as the basketball team is having, Nick Saban is the University of Alabama. And the University of Alabama, looking bad, reflects poorly on Nick Saban. Nick Saban's not going to do anything to hurt the University of Alabama. So I... I don't know. It, 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 it's it's there's a lot of layers here. Like it, I said. Well, again, quote from Nate Oates back when his press conference was held. Brandon Miller as being in the wrong spot at the wrong time of the shooting that took the life of Jamia Harris. And when you look back at what was said, quoted by Nick Saban last night, he says there's no such thing as being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So. At the end of the day, it definitely contradicts the statement that Nate Oates made, but it may be how a coach personally wants to deal or feels is the best way to handle different situations because they are different situations. One is you you, you violated the law in regards to having drugs and a firearm in your vehicle and speeding and, and eluding police versus, yes, there was a murder. So, all are violations of the law. You can go ahead and have that clear cut. You can't argue with that. It's just a matter of how the statements were made by two coaches that are still representing the University of Alabama. And you never like to see two coaches feud because you just said it. Nick Saban loves basketball, period. I mean, he plays pickup basketball with his assistants, with his players. He loves it sitting courtside for several games this year supporting the Crimson Tide. Now, when you look at the flip side of that, I know that Nate Oates comes to support Nick Saban. And do they have a a come-to-Jesus meeting about what statements are going to be made by one another? No, they're both adults. They're both employed by the University of Alabama. But Nick Saban's comment yesterday to the media shows how he feels – He's going to handle situations moving forward. And Nate Oates. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls and, of course, responding to you in the app. And, Michael, I know we have a caller on the air now. Caller, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Hey, what's up, Corey? Hey, so, man, I think y'all might be looking at this the wrong way. I think I don't think it was a shot at Oates. I think it was that they got a talking to from Greg Burns about how to handle situations like this at a big-time program. You know, he had been in a smaller college. And I think that was Saban's way to reinforce 
to the press and the public, hey, in Alabama, we do not condone this type of behavior. There's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. You're always responsible for your actions. I think that's what more is geared towards than taking a shot at Greg Byrne, or I'm sorry, at Nate Oates. I don't necessarily think it's a shot at Nate Oates. I, I just think that it's happens to be poor wording by Nick Saban. You're going to say what comes to your mind, and I guarantee Nate Oates is not on Nick Saban's mind when he's addressing his first spring practice of the season. And I just think that it just it just so happens to contradict the statement that Nate Oates made. And I guarantee Nick Saban didn't get up there making those comments, trying to blast or put Nate Oates on front street. Yeah, the more I think about it, uh, <laughs> the more it does seem ridiculous, you know, the more we talk it out. It is fun to think, uh, you know, Nick Saban got up there and ripped Nate Oates, and, you know, it's uh, it's even more fun to, to sit here and hypothetically rip Nick Saban for ripping Nate Oates, but the, the actual story is probably a, a, a lot less... Uh, a lot less boring and you know someone in the app just says like let's be honest you're defending him but everybody in the media every news outlet says a shot i i don't care what every news outlet says like of course every news outlet says a shot because let me ask you for now see what, who am i defending nato to nick saban that's what i want to well, know e- 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 either or but i i think his point just saying every news outlet saying it's a shot i i well he's saying he's saying nick but uh every news outlet saying it a shot what's gonna what's gonna get more clicks Nick Saban throws shot at Nate Oates or Nick Saban preaching accountability within his own program? I, you know what? I could care less about what Nick Saban has to say in regards to how he runs his program. It's his program. Now, I think that there's a responsibility that he has. Yeah. I think there's a responsibility that Nate Oates has, especially when there was a murder involved. Yeah. That's unprecedented. I think both of the coaches have responsibilities, and I think both the entire athletic program were told by the athletic director on how we're going to handle this moving forward. So with that being said, again, Nick Saban's entitled to say whatever he chooses to say. Just know that there's consequences behind it. And the same thing with Nate Oates. He's entitled to say what he wants to say. Again, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, and again, for I was saying, it's impossible. You guys are saying it's impossible. He's taking a shot. I definitely don't think it's impossible. I definitely think it could have been in the back of his mind. I, I, I think it was a, uh, a very poor choice of words by, by, by Nick Saban, and to not. I understand that's his philosophy and has been his philosophy. He's probably used that choice of words in press conferences a decade ago. But that's to to not at least understand the firestorm that that's going to let off and, and has lit off. I mean, we've spent two segments talking about this. Just for example, I I mean he's he, he's got to he's got to know better than that. You're Nick Saban. I mean you you are like the media master. You you have to know better than that. But at the same time, you know we know the 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 user in the app says Nick either Nick Saban is dumb or he's taking a shot. The way I'm saying it, well, if you're in my mind and you're thinking for me, great job. Let me, you can come on over here and join me. The open seat I got right next to me, right here, and you can come and tell my brain too if you'd like to. Since you're already there, using your psychic powers, <laughs> telling me what I'm saying. Somebody's saying they're entitled to their own opinion. They're gonna say what they want to say the way they can say it, and, and that's their business. But again, there's accountability for what you have said, well, and that's Nick Saban's point to where his player was speeding at 141 miles an hour, had possession of drugs, had possession of a firearm in the vehicle, whether it was his or not. Bottom line is that is a poor decision 
made by that player. And that's what Nick Saban said. Now, again, Nate Oates just said, hey, you know, guys are guys. And wrong place, wrong time. He downplayed Can't it. control any everything everyone does out of practice. It was bad. It was very bad at the time. Prob- probably less bad now, if everything in that Ryan Phillips article is to be believed, it's like less bad now, but bad. Like you, you he had to apologize. It's never good when you have to issue a statement to your statement. That's never a telltale good sign. But that all that all being said, it's like uh, it, it it was the sexy headline that Nick Saban threw a shot at Nate Oates. And I know Fedowski's an Auburn fan, so it's like oh. Nick Saban throwing a shot at Nate Oates is the greatest thing. Like, what? Ask yourself, really. Like, what is more likely? So, uh, I mean, and again, I, I admit, I at first glance thought, God, like, man, I was pretty mad when I first read that. But like, I just don't think that's the case. But at the end of the day, you're you're still talking about Nate Oates wanted to talk about his program. Nick Saban is talking about his program and two coaches, two different sports, same university, absolutely. And I I, I talked about this earlier about what will it cost Brandon Miller nationally? Well, he's won multiple national awards, but one of the biggest ones is the Naismith National Player of the Year. And Brandon Miller was not and is not a finalist for the Naismith National Player of the Year. You have Zach Eady from Purdue, Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana, Jalen Wilson from Kansas, and Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. Now, do I think any of four of those guys will be drafted before Brandon Miller? No. The guidelines for the Naismith National Player of the Year, I think Brandon Miller has checked all those boxes. Now, he has won other awards, and I think he'll continue to win awards. It's just sad that the Naismith National Player of the Year is not going to be one of them. Uh, It's hard to – this is a tough one because – I mean, you can't say Brandon Miller is not deserving of it, but it's hard to make that argument without tearing down the other four because that's four phenomenal players uh, that are, that are nominated there in uh, in Edie, Trey Jack, and Davis. Unbelievable, Jalen Wilson, unbelievable, and Drew Timmy is Drew Timmy. I don't like the guy, but yes, he he, he is an unbelievable basketball player himself. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, obviously. You know, you want to see Miller in there. What I mean, it, it's like if you're the people voting for the Naismith Award, it's like, oh well, these are the five. We got to leave one out. You knew they were going to leave out Brandon Miller. So I, I again, we said a month ago when uh, when Nick Smith won the SEC Player of the Week after Brandon Miller, you know, cooked against South Carolina and then beat Nick Smith. You know, when he didn't win that week, I kind of said at the time, it's like, all right. I'm telling you now, don't spend your energy getting mad over individual awards surrounding Brandon Miller because he's not going to win any. He did end up winning SEC Player of the Year, so good on him. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so He also added the Wayman Tisdale National Freshman of the Year to his collection, the Associated Press First Team All-America, Sporting News First Team All-America. And there's other uh, good. He was a Wooden Award Final 15 candidate, semifinalist, Oscar Robinson Trophy late season watch list. And, it goes on and on for all SEC tournament, most valuable player. It's just sad that when you start talking about the Naismith National Player of the Year that Brandon Miller won't be that. And when we come back on the other side, we'll stick to our basketball guns as one of Mobile's own, Terrence McCutcheon, has made it to the Final Four. 
in Division II women's basketball. The Final Four is hard to make it to at any level, but we'll talk to Terrence McCutcheon and how he got to the Division II level coaching women's basketball after he used to play at LaFleur High School and played at Nichols State and is now on the Final Four route. And we'll watch him on CBS and see if he can win a national championship. He's coming up next here on WNSP's Final Drive. Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty, joined by Michael Bronner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And, you know, here on the final drive, I've been blessed enough to have been working with Michael Bronner here these last month, and he does a phenomenal job lining up our show and getting our guests together. And this next guest, he is a former LaFleur Rattler. And when I tell you that I saw this young man play for Coach Robert Bettis at LaFleur High School and have an opportunity to witness his first high school dunk at Viger High School, and it was a highlight. I mean, he just rose up higher and higher and higher, and he punched that thing against the Viger Wolves, and the crowd goes crazy, and T-Mac goes crazy. Terrence McCutcheon is my next guest here on the final drive. And Terrence, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive, my brother. Good afternoon, Corey, and thank you so much uh, for having me, you and Michael Bronner, and uh, just very thankful for this opportunity to get to talk to y'all and uh, talk about some of the good things we've been able to do this year. Well, I tell you, you know, you're having an opportunity to coach in the Division Two women's final four and when anytime we say final four i don't care if it's at the high school level i don't care if it's a division one two or three level the junior college level the final four is the final four and you've led your team out of north carolina to the first ever final four in school's history tell us where you're coaching at and how you've gotten to the final four Alrighty, righty. Um, I'm coaching. I'm entering my fifth year total at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Uh, this is my third season as head coach. Um, you know, it's been an amazing journey um, up to this point so far, which I would like to say started, you know, about five years ago. I came here with a with a plan, and we wanted we had a vision that we wanted to play for a national championship. Um, we had a really good. Uh, freshman group that year that um, I came in and um, that group has grown and we was able to recruit and put some pieces around them and it's given us this, this opportunity today but um, I have a great I have great support man um, all the way to the top Dr. Our president Dr. Nelson um, who really understands what it takes to support athletics um, that's been great to have him um, we have a athletic director Michelle Cadigan that has done a wonderful job coming in and, and basically giving our athletic department some structure that we needed. And uh, she supported me, you know, wholeheartedly through this thing. And, you know, you can't do this without, you know, I spoke earlier, a great team. And um, we're led by some three good seniors that have won a lot of games here. This is our third consecutive NCAA tournament appearance. And um, though that senior group has won a lot. And they understand what it takes. And they've helped us get to this point. And um, it's just been a great journey. Um, 
you know, we made the Sweet 16 for the first time this year, Elite Eight, first time, and now the Final Four. And it feels surreal. You know, it, it, sometimes it feels like a dream, like this can't be happening, but it is. And uh, we're just enjoying it. But we, we have a few more games left to go, and hopefully we can get it done. Coach Terrence McCutcheon joining us. And, again, Coach McCutcheon, is a LaFleur graduate, and I talked about that first slam dunk that you had against Viagra High School. Do you remember that dunk, T-Mac? Yeah, I, I do remember it. I, uh, I, I talk about it every now and then to some players sometimes, especially my son, um, who's in high school now. But, uh, yeah, that, that dunk uh, brings back some memories. That was probably one of, I think, my first full year playing varsity basketball. And, um, you know, got and, and the next morning I remember them playing it on the uh, – we had some TVs in the home room, in each home room, and that's how they started the morning announcement. So that was a great moment for me, kind of, I guess, kind of catapulted me off into uh, some success that I had in my high school playing days. No doubt about it. So you left LaFleur and went on to play collegiately. Tell us where you went on to play collegiately and how you went from playing the game or men's basketball and coaching men's basketball to coaching mm -hmm. women's basketball. Oh, yeah, I, I left LaFleur. I played one year of junior college uh basketball at the College of Southern Idaho in Twin Falls, Idaho for uh, Jim Thrash was my head coach there. Um, I, I left, I qualified out of high school to play uh, on the Division One level. I had two older brothers, um, Russell and Jason, that played at Nichols State. And so I was interested in, you know, kind of following their footsteps. Um, after my year of playing junior college ball, they reached out to me and offered me a scholarship at Nichols State, you know, and I accepted. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a younger brother, so I kind of grew up idolizing, you know, my older brothers and the things they were doing. So I was honored to go and have a chance to play at Nichols State and also get a chance to play with my brother Jason McCutcheon, who um, was still there at Nichols State. So I couldn't pass that up because you know, I grew up watching them play together at South Alabama first. Then they transferred over to Nichols State. So um, I was excited about that opportunity. And um, going into my senior year of college, my head coach ended up taking an assistant coaching job at LSU. And, um, you know, I understood the business of, of college basketball. And so I ended up transferring to a Division II school in North Carolina called Pfeiffer University. They're actually Division Three now, but they're Division Two back then. And, um, you know, that, that started my North Carolina connections and, and stuff there. But, you know, I finished my career at Pfeiffer. And my coaches there uh, asked me what I wanted to do, you know, after I got done graduating. And at the time, you know, I was, I was solely stuck on trying to play professionally, you know, like all, all of us are, you know, as young men um, trying to figure out how to go do that. But, you know, it wasn't in my cards. And um, I told them if I didn't play that, I would like to get into coaching. And um, I just remember one Christmas after I was done, I went back up to watch uh, five for plays from my old teammates that I had been playing with the year prior and my assistant coach who was my assistant while I was at Pfeiffer, he ended up getting a head coaching job at um, St. Andrews College in North Carolina and asked me if I was still interested in coaching and I told him yes but he said well you might not be able to go back home because I just was up visiting and um, he told me to be ready for an interview and everything from there and I went up with him to the college and had an interview and um, he hired me uh, there and that started my journey, you know, as a as a coach on the men's side. But the strange thing, that same I was volunteering as a coach that year, so I was just getting my feet wet, trying to learn the ins and outs. But I wasn't getting any money. And on the women's side, 
that coach didn't have a sister coach in place and he saw me around and I was kind of like the fifth coach on that staff and he asked me if I would be interested in helping him out whenever I did have time uh, left over in the afternoon with just like office things. It wasn't really any basketball related. He just needed some help. So I was like, sure. And he was able to pay me um, a little money just to kind of help me out. And so I took it. But from there, I had to end up helping him more because, you know, it was just me and him. And, you know, I love the game. And, you know, I started hanging around the team at the time, the young ladies, and it just started going from there. So that, that whole first year I was coaching men and women on the college level. So it was an interesting kind of introduction into coaching at the time. But I loved it. And, um, you know, after that year, I kind of went moved closer to home and just started kind of on my coaching journey, figuring out which way I was going to be. So I kind of – I've done some high school, man. I've I've done some middle school coaching. Um, but I've always had a love for the college level. I just love the time that I could commit to it. So I was always trying to get back to that college level. Um, and after I had a successful year down in Louisiana at a high school called Morgan City High School, um, I had a friend of mine, a really good friend, uh, that had got a head coaching job, got promoted to be the head coach at Catawba College, and um, he called and reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to come and kind of get my foot back in the door, and I just really couldn't pass up the opportunity because my heart just was it was pulling me in that direction. I was ready. You know, I, you know, I kind of had learned my coaching style by this time and, and developed into you know, a solid coach. So I took the opportunity as an assistant coach, and a year and a half into it, you know, he ended up going – to another school in North Carolina Central, and I got promoted to head coach, and um, it's been amazing ever since then. I've um, been doing some great things, and, you know, I'm just really happy for the opportunity and just glad to have the chance to do what I'm doing. Well, you're doing an outstanding job because what we want to do is we want to take a quick break with you, and when we do, we'll come back to finish up because bottom line is Terrence McCutcheon is playing in the national semifinals, which is our final four. Division one, two, and three, you're going to have a final four. And Terrence McCutcheon is taking his young ladies. We'll be playing against Minnesota Duluth tomorrow night at 6 o'clock p.m. our time. You can watch that game on CBS Sports Network, channel 194 if you have Comcast. It's going to be on CBS Sports Network, 6 o'clock p.m. We're going to finish up this interview on the other side of this break here with Terrence McCutcheon joining us here on the final drive. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5, continuing our interview with Terrence McCutcheon, who is the head girls basketball coach or head women's basketball coach at Catawba, and they will be playing on CBS Sports. And that's huge when you start talking about having an opportunity to play in the Final Four, Division II women's basketball. Coaching there, I know you mentioned earlier about your brothers, Jason and Russell, and I had an opportunity to watch Russell and Jason play at LaFleur and Murphy, respectively. Outstanding guys, and, and 
one of your brothers is an outstanding preacher, and the other one is a pretty good a basketball official, too. He he officiates numerous collegiate games here locally in a high school and is my basketball mentor. So he, he's just tremendous knowledge. Now, Jasmine, I love Jasmine McCutcheon, your sister, too, because you have to throw baby girl in the mix as well. So you just have one of those families to where there's boys and girls and, of course, your mom, Hazel. I, you know, I love your family. I love everything that you've represented and your family represents because you guys have done it the right way and you have such a huge extended family and i know all of them will be rooting for you tomorrow at six o'clock p.m central time on cbs sports trying to watch you play for a national championship if you're able to win that game yes uh, man i love my family they've been so supportive of me um you, you just starting with uh you know in terms of basketball and my brothers they they started the love in my heart for the game just growing up and watching them play you know, that made me want to follow in their footsteps. And that started my love for the game, and I just continued to go from there. Um, you know, my sister, we were, we were one year apart, so she was my, I'm going to call her my role dog <laughs> when we was growing up. Um, so we were always uh, spending a lot of time together. Uh, we was always together, so we just kind of was best friends in a sense. And um, so we I loved that about it. We, we still do the same thing. We knew how to finish each other's sentences and things of that nature growing up. And, you know, just the overall family, you know, just very supportive and in Mobile, just in general, you know, a lot of great people. Um, you know, my time at LaFleur High School, for sure, uh, which was a basketball powerhouse and um, just dealing with some great people there and just helping us, helping me along my journey along the way. It's been an amazing ride, and I couldn't be here without all those people. No doubt about it. Your family and friends are so happy to watch you continue to succeed. And, again, tomorrow night, 6 o'clock p.m., you have a squad that is 29-5. and five. We're 16-2 and two in the conference. You guys mm -hmm. play Division II basketball, and you all will be playing for – in the final four, in the semifinals against Minnesota Duluth. And, Coach, I, I just want to wish you the best of luck. And, again, anytime I have a chance to, to represent Mobile, Alabama, I'm going to bring my people on. And, and you're one of those guys that just have had a tremendous career, have continued to grind and work so hard. And I know your family and friends are so very happy for you. I look forward to watching the game tomorrow night as my show ends at 6. I'm going to get in front of the television and make sure I watch 251 put on for the city. And I want to wish you the best. And, again, moving forward, win, lose, or draw, we're all proud of you here in Mobile, Alabama. And for all our listeners, again, you have an opportunity to support one of your own by watching CBS Sports tomorrow at 6 o'clock p.m. as Terrence McCutcheon, the head coach, at Catawba, they take on Minnesota Duluth in the Division II Women's Basketball Semifinals. We call that the Final Four. Congratulations, T-Mac, and I'm very proud of you. Yes, sir. Can I say something, Clark? Absolutely. Again, it's great to see the things that you are doing from afar. You know, I'm always away, and so I'm through social media. I can see things that people are doing, so I'm, I'm glad to see what you're doing. I'm proud of you for that, and as well, just thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share a little bit of some of the things that I've been able to do and um, get this information back to Mobile. It means a lot to me, brother. Anytime, my brother. And we're going to be rooting for you. 6 o'clock p.m. tomorrow night, folks. Immediately following the final drive, 
Tune in to CBS Sports. CBS Sports is what you want to tune in to, whether it's on Comcast, whether it's on satellite, whether you have a fire stick, doesn't matter. CBS Sports, want to go ahead and support one of our own who's coaching in the Final Four. That's hard to come by. And Terrence McCutcheon, best of luck to you, and we'll have all eyes on you tomorrow night, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Terrence McCutcheon, the head women's basketball coach at Catawba, College Division II school out of North Carolina. He's, again, a graduate of LaFleur, one of our own. Class of 97 continues to do his thing. And a lot of people didn't know that, again, we still have representation, not only Division One with Barry Dunning Jr. continuing to stay alive for Arkansas, but we have somebody who's already made it to the Final Four in Division Two, and you can watch them on CBS Sports tomorrow night. And, Michael Bronner, anytime you see – Hashtag 251 or Mobile, Alabama, regardless of the sport. If we know about it, we're going to talk about it here on WNSP. No doubt about it. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we are your local sports station. So, uh, you know, 251, baby. No question about it. Terrence McCutcheon has done a phenomenal job, has a phenomenal family, and I know his family and friends will be watching again tomorrow night. And coming up next, of course, you don't want to miss the rest of what we have in store for you on the final drive. Chris Gordy will be joining us at the top of the hour. And at 430, we have Tim Brando. Of course, growing up, Tim Brando was one of those voices on CBS and ESPN that, you know, you just love to hear the opinions of one Tim Brando, and we'll get those at 4.30. And, of course, at 5.30, we'll talk with Stacey Harrelson because it is National Athletic Trainers Month, and we want to give and show props to all the trainers across the country. So we'll be right back here on The Final Drive. Hi, Vicki. How's your knee doing? It feels better, doctor. Those painkillers worked great. I was hoping to get some more. We're being very careful with prescription painkillers. Let's continue with therapy and off-the-shelf anti-inflammatories for now. Prescription painkillers are America's newest epidemic, causing abuse and addiction for millions. The smaller the dose prescribed and taken, the better. A message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and the Orthopedic Trauma Association. Visit orthoinfo.org slash prescription safety. message that mentioned Social Security that made you feel threatened or scared? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, press you for personal information, or demand instant payment. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Don't fall for it. Hang up, ignore them. Report this criminal activity to oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM, 
and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner behind the glass. 251-694-1055 is how you can get into the show. And, of course, in the first hour, we talked all about Nick Saban's comments versus Nate Oates' comments and pretty much summing up the fact that they said the same thing but said it a little bit differently and as far as from an accountability standpoint and of course someone who I know heard both of the press conferences is Chris Gordy locked on SEC host joins us here on the final drive Chris good afternoon and thanks for joining us on the final drive yeah good to be on guys Chris when you talk about Nick Saban's comments in his first spring practice about the actions and having accountability for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you compare those to Nate Oates, same exact comments. They're the same, but they're different. And I was, I was saying earlier in our show that I don't think Nick Saban prepares his statements based upon thinking about what Nate Oates has said in the past. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, and, you know, I think even some people took it ex- as far as, look, Saban doesn't, like, you'd be surprised how much he doesn't pay attention to. You know I mean? Like, somebody brought up the fact that a couple years ago, he, he didn't even know it was election day. You know, there, there's just some things where when you're in the Nick Saban, Alabama, you know, Alabama football coaching bubble, like, you're really in a bubble sometimes. So you're not paying attention to what other people are saying and all that. But I will say, they're in the same bubble of they're in the same athletic department so you know i would think saving at least you know is up on what happened with brandon miller what happened with Darius miles what happened with you know the, the whole incident and I, mean, I don't know if he was watching every nato's press conference but i would think he was at least familiar with the story and all that but i mean it does kind of like when i heard it i'll be honest it did trigger you know my mind hey NATO's quote from a couple weeks ago was, you know, uh, we can't control what the players do, uh, you know, off the court, and uh, we can't be with them all times, and uh, hey, wrong place, wrong time. Whereas Nick Saban kind of said, hey, there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. You know, you're responsible for anything, any situation you put yourself in. So it did feel a little contrary, um, you know, in my mind. But was that Nick Saban taking a shot at NATO saying, hey, I got control of my program. You better get control of yours. I don't think so. I mean, you know, there, there are going to be people who are going to try to read it that way, but I, I just think it was more Nick Saban saying, hey, look, when it comes to the Alabama football program, you do something stupid, you're going to pay the price, no matter who it is. I agree with you there, Chris. And as we kind of switch gears from Alabama over to the Houston Cougars playing the Auburn Tigers, were you shocked and surprised that Auburn had Houston down by 10 and then the way that Houston was able to bow up and show why they were ranked number one in the country for a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, I was I was more shocked that Auburn beat Iowa, you know, in the first round. I, I thought that uh, – I just thought the way that Auburn had played throughout, you know, the backstretch of the season that I, I had them one and done in the tournament. And, 
lo and behold, they went out there and played one of their best games they played all year in the first round. And so I gave them a lot of credit for that. And then, yeah, I was a little shocked with how they were able to, to get after it that first half against Houston. And, um, you know, I thought the defense played very well. But, man, that second half was just – it was it was the second half of nightmares for Bruce Pearl. I mean, they, there was no offense. What, they made four shots total. Uh, you know, kept getting fouled. There were tons of fouls on both sides. Uh, and Auburn couldn't make their free throws. I mean, how many times are you just like, oh, my God, Jake, you know, just make your free throws. So – uh, it was a nightmare second half for Auburn and yet another year with, you know, an early exit from the tournament. And, you know, that final four run for Bruce Pearl a couple of years ago starts to seem more and more distant as we go along. As he's recruiting these big-time four- and five-star athletes, you know, and the, and the guys they had last year were Jabari Smith, who went top three in the draft, and Walker Kessler, who is turning out to be a, a stud NBA player. And then, you know, this year with the, the talent that they had, it just – Another year gone by where it feels like Auburn kind of underachieved from what their expectations were. So, yeah, again, was I surprised they had a 10-point lead on Houston at the half? Absolutely. But, man, did Houston make the corrections. I mean, they won by, you know, they, not only were they trailed by double digits, they came back to win by double digits. And I thought it was just uh, one of the worst halves that, that Auburn's played all year. I do have Houston making it to my final four. So they are one of my final four picks. And one of the reasons I did pick Coach Sampson is because of good friend of mine, Bobby Champagne, is the director of basketball operations at Houston. Of course, he has South Alabama ties and roots, being a former player at South Alabama as well as a graduate assistant. So Houston is near and dear to my heart with Bobby Champagne. So the Houston Cougars. How will they play against Miami? And this is a Miami team that has really garnered a lot of attention. They whooped up on Indiana. And I think that a healthy Miami team may be able to give Houston all they can handle. They will. And Jim Laranek is a good coach. He's been there, done that at multiple schools, made deep tournament runs. Uh, what's so fun to watch about this Houston team is you know, Marcus Sasser has been their leader all year, and he's, you know, he's their points leader. He's the heart and soul of the team, and he's been banged up lately. But, man, it feels like every one of these games, you know, the, that they've played in the past couple of weeks, somebody else has kind of stepped up. And the guy who stepped up this past game was a guy named Tremont Mark, who I think scored, what, like 20, 22 points in the second half for, for the Cougs. I mean, it's, it's just funny. It's like somebody on that team just says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the team on my back. And you know, kind of like Al. Okay, somebody big stepping up. So, um, yeah, I, I just – I enjoy watching last week with you guys. You know, Coach uh, Sampson, Kelvin Sampson told us that, you know, first two weeks of practice week, they don't even practice offense. They just practice all defense. And, and come to find out, what he does is he puts a lid on the rim. So, every time you take a shot, it's not – it can't go in. There's, there's a lid on the rim, but it just practices rebounding and boxing out and getting offense to the defensive rebounds. And that's one of their specialties. And so uh, they just play with such great effort. So, look, uh, can they lose to Miami? Absolutely. But, man, what they have on the line, a Final Four in Houston, in your backyard, where you're going to have all your fans uh, and you'll have a whole field advantage, i got to think they're going to come out and play inspired basketball and try to take care of business and beat Miami. And, you know, lo and behold, guys, we could get a Houston versus Texas Longhorns to be Elite Eight. And that will be exciting just from a standpoint of, you know, in Texas, there's a, especially here in Houston, there's a ton of uh, Longhorn fans and a ton of Cougar fans. So uh, that would be a fun one just for the rights to play in the Final Four in Houston because 
if one of those, whoever that the team that comes out of that advances, they're going to have a lot of fans there in Houston. Talking to Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. Chris, we'll get back to the college basketball in, in just a second, but I gotta, I gotta get my Saban question in as well. I, I mean, it, it's interesting because obviously we talk about Nick Saban as, when it comes to the media, the most calculated guy, and I, I think I kind of lean with you. I, I don't think he's intentionally throwing pot shots at, at Nate Oates a month after the the initial quote was said uh, during Alabama's March Madness run, but I mean. He's got to know better than that, than to use that choice of words at, at, at this time. Like, I mean, co- come on, coach. What are we doing? Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, it very well could it, it could have been. You, you talked about it. Saban uses the media all the time to send messages to his players. This could have been one where he's using the media to send a message to Nate Oates and say, hey, get your crap together, man. Like, come on. So, um, you know, it certainly is within the realm of possibility. I, again, I just think it was more Saban sending the message to his guys at Tony Mitchell going, dude, you're this big-time, high-profile recruit that we just spent countless hours trying to recruit you and get you here, and you're going to go sell marijuana? Like, dude, we'll get you an NIL deal. Like, it's not that serious. So, um, you know, I think that that was kind of the message he was trying to send in. It was more to the to the player. Um, but, again, we're all going to read between the lines because of the word choice and assume it was, you know, a shot at Nate Oates. But, um, you know, I would assume – even if Saban had a problem with how NATO's handled all that stuff, which, which I, I would assume he did. I mean, everybody had a problem with the, just the, the PR night through and those conversations were had behind closed doors. We're fading out there a little bit there, um, Chris. There we go. There you go. Did we lose you, Chris? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here, guys. Okay, okay. Chris, the, the next question I had is, as you are the Locked On SEC host, is the total domination by the SEC. You talk about it just means more is that slogan. But when you have 10 out of the 25 teams in your baseball poll all come from the SEC, when you look at gymnastics to standpoint, whether it's LSU, Alabama, or Florida, always the cream of the crop. Of course, Georgia – winning national championships Alabama always now uh in in the mix for basketball of course it, it, it just softball it does not matter pick an SEC sport even equestrian the, the SEC it just means more why is the SEC really dominating the national scene of collegiate sports and do you expect it to shift to any type of other conference anytime soon well, don't forget, not too long ago, Kentucky's rifle team won uh, won a national championship. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, absolutely, I mean, it's, it's it's every sport. I mean, uh, no, it's it's crazy, guys. I mean, I went after the uh, the 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 dummies uh, from the Big Twelve that wanted to talk trash coming into the tournament. That you know, oh, Big Twelve's going to dominate. SEC stinks, and now here we are in the Sweet Sixteen. The SEC's got three teams in Arkansas, Tennessee, and Alabama, and the Big Ten, Big Big Twelve's got two. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the the dominance of the conference is showing. And hey, look, if we want to invite Texas a year early, I mean, we'll include them in the mix. Say so we got four final four teams uh, or four four teams in the Sweet Sixteen here. So um, no, it's it, it is just it speaks to the caliber of athletes that every school recruits in the SEC, and just the standard of excellence that is held across everywhere. Now, look, baseball and football are a little bit different because what do we have in the South? I mean, we have warmer temperatures. So 
Obviously, kids want to come play baseball or softball at Alabama or Auburn or LSU or Florida. They don't want to go play at Purdue or Michigan and, you know, all these schools where it's, you know, way colder in the, in the spring months. So uh, I think there's that, but I just think it's a level of standard that, that you know, facilities-wise. I mean, it feels like every time one of these schools builds a new, you know, baseball park or upgrades their softball field, you know, it's got to, it's keeping up with the Joneses. So all the other schools have to do the same thing. And now I'll let you guys in a little secret. When Texas and Oklahoma get here, it ain't going to get easier. It's going to get harder. And, and those teams uh, do already do very well in those other sports like baseball, softball, and basketball. So, yeah, it's uh, the standard is going to continue to be raised, guys. And, and, again, we continue to see the success of the SEC and that, that money from the SEC that just continues to flow in. I get out to College Station probably once or twice a year. And, guys, every time I go out there, I'm, I'm impressed with new buildings being built. New constructions of the stadium, new you know, new uh, apartments that weren't there a year prior. It's just amazing. You see that across the SEC. You know, I, I, it's been years since I've been to Auburn, but I know when I go back, I'm going to see things that I hadn't seen just five, six, seven years ago because um, it's that SEC money and, and, again, the standard of ex- excellence across all sports. So let's keep this train rolling. And, hey, if, uh, if Texas wins it all in basketball this year, don't think we're not claiming at least part of that for the SEC. Well, it's evident again. One-fourth of the women's Sweet 16 consists of all SEC teams, one-fourth. And it really had an opportunity to be that same way in basketball if Kentucky doesn't fall short. and It's just amazing to me across the board, and and I love all the haters across the country to where it does become, you know, you hear about the Georgia fatigue. Of course, everybody's heard about the Alabama fatigue for the last 15 years, and then people get mad because, Auburn gets good in basketball and you know now you're just a football state and now you have UAB getting ready to to play Vanderbilt tomorrow night for an opportunity to advance in the NIT Final Four so it it does just mean more for the Southeastern Conference and I tell you it's a blessing to be able to cover sports here in the Southeast and of course you being the host of Locked On SEC I think the run will continue to be even more dominant once we do add Oklahoma and Texas. No doubt and I mean if I had to make my bets right now I mean I would you know I would make a guess and say I think Don Staley in South Carolina are probably going to take home another title. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And, of course, Auburn had their pro day today. And one Cam Newton is throwing at Auburn's pro day or threw at Auburn's pro day. He's a 2010 Heisman Trophy winner. 2015 league MVP. Made it to the Super Bowl. I think that Cam Newton still has enough juice in the tank to at least play a backup role in the NFL. Michael Bronner, you don't think he's better than Nick Mullins or Kyle Allen or C.J. Beathard? Well, no, I don't, but that's not even what he says. He says there ain't 32 dudes better than him. That's not the word he used, but... uh, And I understand you, on some level, like, you need that level of confidence. You gotta uh, have it. To to be a, a pro athlete, but... Listen, man, 
there are 32 quarterbacks better than Cam Newton in the year 2023. There, there are probably uh, there are closer to 60 quarterbacks better than Cam Newton <laughs> well, in the year 23. The guy's right. arm's been shot for three years, man. From a, from a backup standpoint, a he's backup. Not, he's not taking a backup role. Here's the opportunity. I'm not quite sure Cam would say I have to be a starter. I don't. Oh, I won't be in the NFL. But I can tell you this: he's better than Cooper Rush. Of the Dallas Cowboys. Cooper Rush won a couple of games this year. Uh, and, and I don't again, think he is better than Cooper uh, Rush. Okay, all right. John Wolford, he's better than John Wolford from the Los Angeles Rams. He He's better than Chad Henney. He's better than Blaine Gabbert. Drew Locke. He might be better than Drew Locke. Taylor Heineke. He's, not, he's absolutely not better than Taylor Heineke. Right now, Colt McCoy. He's better than Colt McCoy. I, I, I disagree. I disagree. I'm glad you disagree. Cam's arm was shot three years ago with the Patriots. I was forced to watch the most boring offense of all time. I mean, he he hasn't had anything for multiple years now, and we're doing this again. I'm not saying he has to start. I'm saying as a backup. Hey, look, he can say that. Two dudes better than him. Uh, And you're supposed to have that confidence and swagger because if you don't feel you're the starter, there's no backup that I just named that don't feel like they should be starting. Fair enough. AJ McCarron. Yeah. To me, he was a starting quarterback who never got an opportunity. And all he did was hold the clipboard for like four or five different organizations for seven or eight years. And he's putting up major numbers in the XFL showing why he still belongs. And it may still only be as a backup. But I tell you what, when I see some of these current NFL rosters, I know that Cam Newton is definitely not saying a starting quarterback. But I think that he belongs on an NFL roster. Now, if Cam feels it's start or bust more power to him you go be one of those 32 dudes then go show why you should be i mean well he does he, he i don't think he wants to take a backup i mean at this point if you're cam newton why would you take a backup job i think there are dudes in the xfl that are better than cam newton right now again the guy's arm has been done for years uh he he offers a little bit in the rushing area still obviously he didn't just you know completely lose his legs but i mean man his shoulder's been cooked it's been cooked since 2020 the guy the guy has not been a good quarterback, has not even been an average quarterback for a really long time. And for, you know, hey, all right, I'm going to throw at Auburn's pro day and make it. (laughs) The guy's about himself, which I get. Like, that's his brand, whatever. But, like, it's not about you, Cam. This is Auburn's pro day. These are guys that are trying to make the NFL. Your time has come and gone. It's time to say goodbye to Cam Newton. And I'm sorry, Auburn fans, but it's over. And the guy I, is not an NFL quarterback anymore. I, I don't even know if it's about being an Auburn fan because you can't argue what he did at Auburn. Yeah, I guess course. what we're arguing here now is the fact that does he belong in the NFL even as a backup quarterback? I think he is. I guess I would agree that he is good enough to be an middle-of-the-road backup. I don't think he's taking a backup job. He thinks he's there ain't 32 dudes better than him in the NFL. I'm here to tell you, Cam, yeah, there are. <laughs> there's at least about there's about 45 dudes better. I mean, we can go through it. We can go through a list on another day when I got some time to prep this, but there's at least 45 quarterbacks in the NFL better than Cam Newton right now. And, and that's just – it is what it is, man. The guy – his arm's been shot. It is what it is. Uh, he was – electric to watch when when he was at his peak but let's just face the facts man he, he he's done uh he, his time as a starting nfl quarterback is over and you know it was great it was wonderful mvp in 2015 one of the best seasons the quarterbacks ever had both statistically and just you know wow this guy's 
phenomenal. Obviously, you can't discount anything he did at Auburn. Probably could make the argument that he's the greatest college football player of all time. I, I you know, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I, I like, I'm not ne- tearing down the career of Cam sure. Newton. But in the year of 2023. The guy needs to go away. Somebody I, I says, don't need to see him, him making Auburn's Pro Day about Cam Newton. Somebody says in the app, Cam is better than AJ today. Okay, then go play in the XFL, Cam. I, I think the fact that Cam Newton is not playing football and is waiting for that shot, my caps are off to the Brandon Silvers of the world, to the AJ McCarrens of the world. But I, I just think that Cam mentally – it was hard for him to shake off after losing that Super Bowl in 2015. And and he had, I'm not going to say unsuccessful seasons after the Super Bowl run in 2015, but he sure didn't put up the type of numbers. Um, they steadily declined after that 2015 Super Bowl appearance by the Carolina Panthers. And Cam Newton, again, I just think that he can – be a backup in the NFL, and if he chooses to be that, then so be it. And I guarantee somebody is going to get hurt somewhere down the line to where if Cam Newton is ready, and he looked ready when I saw him on television and even in his his video that he put out on Twitter and Instagram, he looked ready physically. Now mentally, we'll see what he can do, whether he can take a hit, whether he wants to take a hit, whether an NFL team will even give him a chance. Like I said, I, I don't think we're disagreeing that he has about the ability to be a middle-of-the-road backup quarterback right now. Uh, I, I, I think he thinks that he's better than that. And, again, there's a degree of you have to think you're better than that to, to be an athlete at that level. But, I, I mean, come on, man. What, what are we doing here? I, I, I've just, I, it's just like three years in a row now. We've done the, oh, Cam Newton's making a comeback. How did you feel when he played for the Patriots? Not good. That team was horrible. I, I think that's why you feel you like you do now about Cam Newton yeah, because shoulder, he put on that Patriots uniform, Mike. Was shot that's when he why. Was in a Patriots when he put on uniform. that Patriots uniform, that's what made you so bitter about Cam Newton because he didn't perform like you wanted him to as a Patriots fan. If the arm was there when he was a Patriot. This might be a different discussion, but this we're talking three years ago. Hey, the, the goat signed him. The, the goat signed him. Okay, the why did Belichick sign him? The goat let rookie Mac Jones beat him out. I, I, the guy, the guy is just doesn't have a starting quarterback. He doesn't offer anything as a starting quarterback anymore. I'm just, I mean, yes, I of course I'm bitter about that season. It was it was boring as hell to watch. But, Again, I mean, we'll get more. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely get back into Whew. Cam Newton's situation, and and we'll get our next guest opinion about does Cam Newton still have enough in the tank? Because Tim Brando saw him play at Auburn. We'll see and get Tim Brando's thoughts on whether Cam Newton should have arrived at Auburn's A Day today to throw, or excuse me, Pro Day today to throw. We'll talk to Tim Brando about his bracket. And a little bit more. Of course, we'll have to talk to him about his football endeavors as well. Tim Brando coming up next here on the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner on WNSP. This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 1055 WNSP. about the situation and what his legal circumstance. 
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. And it's a pleasure and a privilege to be joined by my next guest. Met him earlier in late in the football season as he came down to a team focused organization event and spoke in front of some high school athletes that I was presenting with the player of the month, Tim Brando from old time ESPN, CBS, and currently with Fox joins us this afternoon on the final drive. Tim, good afternoon. And thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Hi, Corey. It's great to be with you. And uh, boy, I love, um, I love that area. I love Mobile and the Floribama. I can't wait to get down there for vacay, which I will, uh, Come the month of May, I uh, I'm headed to Orange Beach, so I'll be I'll be down there in your your territory, and uh, I always come in the spring. And uh, it was great seeing you during football season, getting together with uh, so many of my friends, um, uh, the Silversteins, and um, and certainly Danny Sheridan, and uh, reminders of the, the great Godfrey family, Mike in particular. It was a, it was a lovely night, and meeting those great kids, you know those those super high school athletes and uh, it reminds you of how how fortunate we really are to have uh, a generation uh, that that is as good as this one is uh, and I think that uh, that group that was there that night a select group I know but um, a great group uh, to be sure we have uh, and it was great meeting you and thank you for all the kind words that you had to say to those young men that were in the audience and we just were having a debate before you came on about Cam Newton. And I know we saw him win the Heisman Trophy at Auburn, but him participating today at Auburn's Pro Day. Cam Newton says he wants to be a starter. He's better than 32 guys right now in the NFL. Just wanted your hot take, your real quick hot take. Is Cam Newton a starting quarterback in the NFL right now, or is he a bona fide backup quarterback in the NFL? Look, I admire uh, Cam's confidence. I, I always have. Uh, but there's no doubt that uh, towards the end of uh, you know his career, uh, he, he had taken uh, quite a few hits, and it affected his game. Uh, he was not as sharp, uh, not sharp enough to certainly retain the position uh, of a starting quarterback. Uh, but to his point, and I think this is probably – where he's coming from. And this happens a lot, Corey. I've seen it. <clears throat> a lot of times quarterbacks price themselves out of the marketplace because of their value and what their, what their worth was and what their worth would remain if they were to come back uh, and play. And, and I think that as a result, what happens is a lot of times uh, quarterbacks get kicked to the curb because, they know that they being the, the, the people in management in the NFL, that there's just a brand new crop of young and cheaper, uh, perhaps cheaper talent that they can have uh, with the salary cap issues being what they are. It, you know, Cam, even if he came in at the, at the minimum, okay. And, and let's not say he would, but let's say for, for, uh, for lack of a, uh, a better example. Let's say he was willing to work for the minimum, and then and then uh, build it back back up to the point where he was making a, a, a lot of a lot of money again. That's a hard thing to pull off, and the constraints of the business of the NFL is the reason for that. Uh, people that are willing to work for less 
Um, you know, take a look at Andy Dalton, by example. Okay, signed a one-year deal, played about half the games in New Orleans. He's going to be playing elsewhere, but he's willing to continue to play for what the market value for him is. I don't know that Cam has ever been constructed like that. I don't think he could. I don't think he could compete or allow himself to play uh, for anything less than a certain number. And I think that when you when management knows that, uh, you're basically killing your own career. Right. Uh, you know, I, I really believe that. I think that's uh, that's that's what happens. And if I were advising him, I'd say you need to rethink your situation if you want to reboot your career and get back to you know a place where you thought you you would probably be. You know, injuries cost him. Sure, and a lot. With being with being the big target that he was, and uh, and a unique talent that could beat you with his legs and his arm, and an MVP at one point. I mean, early in his career, uh, the bar he set for himself was so high, and uh, ultimately, injuries brought him down to a point that he could not live up to the bar that he set for himself. Tim Brando joining us here on the final drive. And, Tim, we're going to go right to March Madness, man. I tell you, a lot of people tore, tore up their brackets. Here in my final bracket, I had Alabama, Marquette, Houston, and Gonzaga. So I still have four, uh, three out of my four. And my partner, my producer, Michael Bronner, had Alabama, Duke, UCLA, and Texas in his final four. What was yours looking like? And I tell you, Michigan State's still looking strong, but they're playing K-State, two teams that play the same as one of the games I'm looking forward to seeing the most. Yeah, I am too. I, I, I think K-State's going to win that game and is going to surprise everyone and come out of that region and be the outlier in the final four. I just put out on Twitter – about a half hour ago, maybe 45 minutes ago, my revised forecast. I did the, I played the role of meteorologist. You know, these, these guys that do the weather, uh, they catch a break, you know, by revising their five-day forecast. Well, <laughs> forecasters don't have that luxury. You know, once right. we put it out there. It's gospel. Uh, it's gospel, <laughs> yeah. and, and they're going to, you know, fans are going to be just chewing you up and spitting you out on social media. But I deserved it this this year. This is this bracket I put out last week. My God, it, it's got to be the worst I've ever had. It looks like one of my geometry tests in the ninth grade. That was the that was the only class I think I flunked in high school. Right. I should have been in rudimentary math, <laughs> but but after algebra, I was forced to take geometry, and I oh that I should have never done that. But it looks like an F paper. It does. So I revised it. And uh, this is my revised Final Four, okay? All right. Alabama out of the South. I think they are the best team with the best player. The teams that I thought could knock them out are gone. Uh, I thought Virginia could knock them out. And then I thought, uh, and that would have, you know, they would have played Virginia in the second round. And, uh, or they would have played them actually here. They would have been playing them in in the Sweet 16. And then Arizona, a team that I thought could potentially win that region, you know, they get bounced right away. So, you know, my uh, my bracket was toast about three hours into the tournament. Uh, I also had, uh, you know, down in the, the, the eastern bracket, I, I, like you, I loved Marquette. I thought they were playing the best of any of the Big East teams. The Big East is a quality conference. They, along with the SEC, have three teams remaining. And for Marquette not to be one of them is, is a little surprising. I mean, it is. But give Tom Izzo a lot of credit. He is Mr. March. They earned that win. Um, 
But I do think that uh, Tennessee's in a great position here. They have to play Florida Atlantic in the Garden this week and then get the winner of Michigan State, K-State. It sets up beautifully for them, and they've really responded to not having Zach Ziegler. And I think they are going to run into problems, though, if, and I do believe they will, get Kansas State rather than Michigan State. If, if Michigan State gets matched up with Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee's got a really good chance of making it to the Final Four. Michigan State is not even a vintage Sweet 16 team for Tom. Uh, they just gutted it out to get to this point, overachieved as many times they do. Uh, but I think Kansas State with um, Casey Noel, that, that, that point guard is the best pure point left in this, in this field. I mean, he is. He said they got them and dudes, Tim. A lot. He is an absolute magician with the ball, uh, whether he's shooting it or passing it. I think his, his passing skills and his ability to distribute the ball are really special. So I'm going to go K-State in that region. I do think Houston will hold up uh, and come through the Midwest. Marcus Sasser, in my opinion, was going to slowly get better, and, and he's been able to do that and manage uh, the growing pool. And uh, I think they'll take care of Miami. I think Xavier will beat Texas. I love the Xavier's diversity from an offensive standpoint. And Sean Miller's a great coach. But I do think Houston can handle Xavier in the Elite Eight. So I'm going Houston in the Midwest. And out West, UConn may be the best team uh, with the most talent and the most depth. But I think they're going to have to work so hard to beat Arkansas. Arkansas is such a matchup problem from a defensive standpoint, but I think they'll soften UConn when they get to the Elite Eight. And UCLA, even without Jaden Clark, and, and Jaden Clark was their most versatile starter, their defense is so good. The, the best game of the, the week in the Sweet 16 to me is Gonzaga-UCLA. Uh, that's going to be the Zags are going to try to push it. UCLA is going to try to get them into a rock fight. They had a great game, you might recall, to get to the Final Four for UCLA Absolutely. back in 2021 uh, in Indianapolis. And some of those players are still there. You know, Drew Timmy's inside game versus uh, UCLA's Tommy Hawkins, who might be the toughest cover at the wing position of any, of any player in the country. I'm going to go with the Bruins because Nick Collins' team is just so good, such a lockdown, defensive-oriented team. I'm going to go with the Bruins over the Zags. UConn over Arkansas on a close one, but then UCLA will take care of the Huskies in the Elite Eight. That's how I see it. So I got uh, Houston, UCLA, K-State, and Alabama in my Final Four. I love it. Tim Brando, we have about three and a half minutes left with you before we have to go to our hard break. And I, I, I know, do you feel that March Madness is the best sporting event of all, whether it's the World Series, the NBA Finals, uh, you, you talk about the, the hockey finals, uh, the Stanley Cup. Is it the best, period? Yeah, because it lasts three weeks. It captivates the entire country. And uh, if you look at uh, people ask me, hey, you've been to Super Bowls, right? And I'm like, yeah, I think I've been to like two. I've covered the Super Bowl many times when I had my radio show. But I, once you've seen one Super Bowl, you've seen them all. Once you've seen one World Series, you've seen them all. When you go to a Final Four, you get something new and different every time. And since 1981, when I was covering LSU as a cub reporter uh, in Baton Rouge, uh, Corey, I have missed only, and this this is including the 2021 COVID 
no one could be there unless you were working at CBS uh, tournament. I, I have only missed four Final Fours since 1981. So uh, special. I mean, I do not want to miss it. I go, I, and it, listen, I do work for the National Association of Basketball Coaches. I emcee their champions luncheon on Sunday. I also um, moderate some of their panels during their, their, the coaches' convention there. And my wife and I have great seats uh, sitting about five, six rows up, usually around midcourt. And, uh, you know, it's just an event I don't want to miss, ever. And it's very rare when I want to be in an event that I'm not working. But that's the one event every time, every year, I want to be at. It's magical. You it know, really four is. fan bases, four different colors in a dome stadium with about 60,000 plus, generally speaking for two basketball games. And always, one of those games is just epic. Epic. And sometimes two are, you know. So, for me, and I'm biased, I, I have great passion for college basketball. Uh, I never miss that event. I have not been to more than two national championship games since the BCS was created. <laughs> well, that'll let you know, so, Tim, that, that yeah, it's all about it. March Madness. And, and I can't thank you yeah. enough for taking time to jump on the final drive with me this afternoon. And I look forward to getting you back on in the future as well after we finish up so I can tell you a little bit about more March Madness stories that my best friend Mac McGadney, that you had an opportunity to broadcast, Auburn mm -hmm. taking on Florida in the SEC championship game in 2000, and the kind yeah. words that you said for Mac uh, in regards to him stepping in for Chris Porter. I can't thank you enough. And I know Mac at the time, he thanked you a lot too. And thank you for all that you do in your coverage and just being so outgoing and accessible as well. Well, thank you, Corey. It means a lot. And uh, you live in one of my favorite parts of the country. And anytime I get a chance to come down that way, I do it. And I look forward to chatting with you again. You can call me anytime during the spring or summer. All I'm doing is chasing grandbabies and golf balls this time of year. Love it. Love it. Tim Brando, the legendary Tim Brando, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it, buddy. Michael Brauner will be right back on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jake Tilker, quarterback at Alabama. And when I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And as we proceed with this Tuesday, a little sad news in the sporting world. Willis Reed has passed away at the age of 80. Played for the New York Knickerbockers between 64 and 74. Seven-time NBA All-Star. Most valuable player in 69 and 70. And in Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals versus the Lakers, he made Madison Square Garden go nuts by returning to play after his injury. And I know Lee Shervanian will probably be talking about that in the morning. But Willis Reed passed away at the age of 80. We were talking also, Mike, prior to Cam Newton, Dante Hightower decides to go ahead and retire after three Super Bowls. Basically had a nine-year NFL career. Retires at 33 years old. 
I guess he felt it was time to continue to take care of his body. You know, it's funny. Well, uh, we haven't gotten the opportunity to, to talk to Zach Blackerby in a few weeks, but he, he's a big Patriots fan. We, we've gotten into it on uh, on this program a few different times because I've uh, criticized Dante, not criticized Dante Hightower, but said, like, you know, it's probably time for the Patriots to, to move on. He, he wasn't on a team this, this past season uh, and kind of just, you know, I guess realized that that door was kind of closed for him. So, But nothing but respect to Dante Hightower, a huge part of multiple championships for the Patriots. He, you know, signal caller on defense, uh, obviously an Alabama legend as well. So, you know, Dante Hightower, nothing but positive things to say there. And Zach Blackerby, you know, just took me took that to uh, me and accused me of slandering Dante Hightower. <laughs> so we'll have, we'll have to talk to him about that next time we have him on well also we talked march madness with tim brando and about the brackets well in the women's side of things number one indiana they fell to miami last night 70 to 68 well guess who else fell to miami the indiana men and women played the same exact opponent and indiana did not have a lot of luck against the miami hurricanes as both Indiana's men and women lost to Miami. That's the 10th time ever with the program defeating the same team in the men and women's tournament. So it doesn't happen that often, only the 10th time. But kudos to Miami for knocking off Indiana. Of course, number one, Stanford. They went down 54-49 to against Ole Miss. And one-fourth of the women's Sweet 16 is SEC. And we'll see what happens. Number one, Kansas. Number one, Purdue. They went down. Most number ones since the expanded men's tournament in 1985. Top of the hour coming up here next on the final drive. Look forward to hearing from you. 251-694-1055. Time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner, taking your telephone calls at 251 694 1055. That's 251 694 1055 is how you can reach us. And of course, you can get to us anytime in the app. We love to hear from you and we always respond to that as well. And in today's show, we really started it off by talking about Nick Saban's comments about Tony Mitchell's suspension and also comparing those to the same comments that head basketball coach Nate Oates made. And Nick Saban and Nate Oates both. I know Michael was able to grab a little bit of audio. And what we'll do is we'll play the Nate Oates audio first. And then secondly, we'll play Nick Saban's comments from yesterday in regards to Tony Mitchell's suspension from the football program. 
It was discussed in court this morning that Brandon's car was involved with Darius's situation. Just how comfortable were you with his, his proximity to that? And also, if there's any NBA scouts who might be inquiring, what would you say to them about that? Yeah, I mean, we've known the situation since it's been. We've been fully cooperating with law enforcement the entire time. I mean, it's the whole situation's sad. I mean, you just think of it. We team close practice with a prayer for the situation today. Again, knowing that we had this trial today, I mean, you think of Jamia and her family and Kane, really think about her son Kane that was left behind. So it's sad. We did, we knew about that. I mean, you know, you can't control everything anybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. College kids are out. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any type of trouble on this case, like Neron spot at the wrong time. So we'll, we'll address it when uh, I'm sure NBA scouts will ask. They do their homework. But, yeah. I wrong spot at the wrong time is what Nate Oates was saying a couple of months ago, kind of being ill-informed in regards to coming out of practice, not knowing all the new emerging details that had just come out. And Nick Saban, he definitely took a different type of stance even though both of them are criminal acts by University of Alabama athletes, here's a situation where Nick Saban about Tony Mitchell spoke loud and clear as well. Uh, Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team on uh, all team activities until we gather more information about the situation and what his legal circumstance is. And, um, you know, I mean, Guys, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing in being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around, and what you do, who you associate yourself with, and uh, the situations that you put yourself in. So um, it is what it is, but uh, there is, you know, cause and effect when you make, you know, choices and decisions that uh, put you in bad situations. Michael, there's no doubt in my mind that. The University of Alabama was put on notice by its athletic director, Greg Byrne, after this situation occurred. And the student athletes were as well. Now, whether you heed that warning and you want to try to supersede it and be Superman or Superwoman and, and continue to, to violate the law and to break the law or put yourself in bad situations, there, there, there's got to be learning lessons from what happened two months ago. And that's what disappointed me the most with the Tony Mitchell situation quite sure he's an outstanding young man who made a horrible decision and just felt he wasn't going to get caught and but knew if he did get caught that there were going to be consequences to those actions I don't think that Nick Saban's press conference was there to throw Nate Oates under the bus I'll keep saying that I know we talked about that during the first hour and I'll continue to stand by that Nick Saban's wording choice was very similar to what NATO said. And at the end of the day, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, it, I mean, Nick Saban has been known to use the media to convey messages to his team and to his players. And I think that's probably what happened here. I, I think he may, it's probably pretty likely that he disagreed with how. Nate Oates publicly handled the situation, but he didn't need to use his post-spring practice press conference 
to send a message to Nate Oates. It's like maybe they had a conversation behind closed doors. Maybe all the coaches met with Greg Byrne. I, I don't know. I would imagine there was some sort of meeting like that. Or email or something. I guarantee uh, well, there was a meeting of the minds. Uh, so, yeah, something like that. I, I just I, I think at initial glance – uh, this he- the the headline of Nate Oates appears to throw sh- or Nate Nick Saban appears to throw shade at Nate Oates appears a lot more uh, significant you know significant and eye popping than what is actually here. Uh, should Nick Saban have used a different choice of words? Probably uh, not. Probably definitely. Uh, but that being said, I I don't think it was. Oh well. Nick is just throwing this subtle shade at Nate Oates either. Well, I tell you what it's done. It's created a lot of controversy, continued controversy, that whether Tony Mitchell knew he was going to get caught, knew he was wrong or what have not, the drugs are one thing because that's one of those things that you normally see after preseason practice or after the A-Day game has gone on, that dead time between May, June, and July leading up to SEC media days is when players normally get caught doing something of illegal activity or find a way to find themselves suspended or dismissed from the team. That's normally when you see that. You normally don't see that coming into a spring game or coming into spring practice. Matter of fact, the weekend before spring practice begins for Alabama because spring practice did start on yesterday. And when you think about it, Tony Mitchell, if he was not an early enrollee, he's still at Thompson High School right now. And the fact that he is an early enrollee and came in at the end of December, I think that that is what really magnifies the situation as well because in all actuality, that's why you see a lot of people say they're Early enrollees shouldn't even be there. They should still be in high school and enjoying their high school prom. But Tony Mitchell made horrible, horrible decisions in regards to whether it's his firearm or not. And knowing or not knowing, okay, one of them you can get rid of. But what about the the, the drugs? What do you do then? How did, how did he get away or how is he going to find a way to get away with that? Because it wasn't just a baggie, a yeah, little. Chris uh, already uh, said it. That was my next point. It wasn't a small it, amount. No, it, of it wasn't just. I, I want to go ahead and and smoke a blunt, or or smoke a little piece of a doobie. We're, we're talking about a large, large, large amount. And of, that's exactly uh, what has gotten Tony Mitchell into this situation, to where, because a firearm was found on the vehicle, and because there was a firearm involved with the murder on campus. I think that that cloud is still hovering over the University of Alabama as a whole, the athletic program, especially, like I said, you can do and get in trouble for curfew violations. You can get public intoxication. That's a whole different story than when you start talking about a firearm and murder that occurred. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think – there's going to be that connotation around, uh, you know, firearms and student athletes at the University of Alabama for uh, a long time now. As again, as there should be, uh, and you know, again, like we said yesterday, can't lose sight of the fact that a woman and a mother lost their life uh, on January 15th. So that is is the story there. But uh, I think people are kind of conflating the two situations. 
uh, just because Nick Saban happened to use the same choice of words, which is yeah, which is inappropriate to conflate the two situations. Obviously, Tony Mitchell made very, very, very poor choices. I mean, the guy was driving 140 miles an hour uh, again with with half a pound of marijuana in his car and 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 a firearm that may may not have been legally owned. So I, you can't even. Like I said earlier, there's no gray area in that situation. Uh, there's no wrong place, wrong time there. I, I do think there I, – I understand Saban's no-nonsense policy, and, and you are responsible for the situations you put yourself in. I, I think in certain cases, they're, they're uh, you know, especially being uh, a, a young college kid, like you, sometimes you get into a situation that you have no control over and, 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 and things happen, but – the Tony Mitchell situation is not a situation like that. He, he obviously made a series of very poor decisions that, that led to eventually his arrest. Well, also behind the podium yesterday in saving addressing Saban addressing the media for the first time after Alabama's first spring practice, you knew the media you I said it yesterday on the show. He was not going to give, he was not going to talk about a depth chart. That was out the door. If anybody asked that, they really wanted to rev saving up early. And he went ahead and, and mentioned that. But Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, I, I just I'm not quite sure that again coming into this spring, I think the most important thing at Alabama and Auburn both is to just to get quality reps. And then you can separate yourself as fall practice opens itself up. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that's a beyond fair point. Uh, I didn't didn't even say. I can't remember when it was. It was some point in the fall that oh, this might be this might be the last time y'all y'all even get a depth chart at all. <laughs> yes. So yeah, he went on a rant. You you know they're gonna uh, they're gonna wait as long as possible to release that first depth chart. We'll see if we we actually even get it before the summer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really wish coming out of spring practice yesterday that the story was the quarterback battle or how, you know, I really any particular guy looked, but instead we're talking about, uh, what Saban may have said or meant at the podium and, and, and it's, it's just unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> We got a quarterback battle in Tuscaloosa to to, uh, to legitimately discuss, so maybe we'll get into that one on the other side. We will, and on the other side, we'll also talk about instant replay and its ability to affect games not only at the professional level but at the collegiate level and also at the high school level. Here in the state of Alabama, we've already done a great job in our championship games of having instant replay, but I'll talk a minute about what our neighboring state of Georgia, what protocols they put in place to make sure you're not robbed out of a state championship opportunity. The final drive on WNSP with Corey Bounty and Michael Braun are coming right back at you. Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner with you on this terrific Tuesday. And one of the things I was talking about coming to the break was, would you love to be cheated out of a state championship 
opportunity. If you have an opportunity to win a state championship and it's clear cut that you're the winner, do you want there to be instant replay to show it? And if instant replay does show it, why not go ahead and implement to correct the mistakes, the obvious egregious calls? Well, the Georgia High School Athletic Association set new protocols for instant replay in football championship games after a 3A controversy in December in a 21-17 win for Sandy Creek over Cedar Grove. And in that game, it was clearly a goal line situation to where a full yard short of scoring a touchdown and they awarded it to Sandy Creek anyway. Now, in the state of Alabama, we do utilize instant replay for our state championship games. And coaches can challenge with the red flag. They're allowed one flag for, for a game. If they're wrong, of course, you charge them the timeout. But is it right to have a high school team cheated out of a state championship? And we went ahead and put the YouTube video in our app. So if you have not had an opportunity to see that 3A Georgia High School State Championship game, one of the most egregious calls that you'll see. Terrible. It, it really reminded me of that umpire who was ready to get out of the New Orleans and Mississippi Valley State game a couple of weeks ago. But this was high school kids that were cheated out of an opportunity to win a state championship. And it is in our app for you to have an opportunity to look at that video and they've kind of changed the direction now in Georgia so kudos to the Georgia High School Athletic Association hate that it had to cost an entire school an opportunity to say that they were state champions and we all have heard the stories about well there was that one time where I knew that we should have won the state championship but this happened no no I mean this is for the world to see it was pretty egregiously it, it was horrible and i'm just glad that the state of alabama has made sure that that won't happen in our state championship games and we were talking earlier about cam newton being able to come back and is he ready for the nfl is cam newton ready to start cam newton says he's better than 32 other guys right now he's ready to lead the nfl franchise and tim brando touched about it earlier on in our show about Cam probably priced himself out of the game. And one of our people in the app said, hey, Cam, just be an analyst. Yeah, you would be the sharpest dressed analyst on television. And I think Cam would do a hell of a job yeah, being a TV analyst. He's charismatic. He's fun. I like watching Cam on TV. But I, I think that he really has maybe one or two years left in him as a backup. As a backup. I'm not saying... A starting quarterback, Michael Brauner. But if you're Cam, why? Like, why? Like, why? What's the point? He feels he still has juice in the tank. He feels he still has starting quarterback juice in the tank. He's the No, that's just his swagger. That's his swagger. I, you know, I, Cam Cam Newton has the most swagger of probably in a, any NFL quarterback outside of Broadway Joe that you'll ever see. Okay? I, and... You know, his appearance, his talk, his million-dollar smile, it earned him that. And one of our, our users in the app earlier said he is Lamar Jackson, or Lamar Jackson is Cam Newton 2.0. Well, both of them have NFL 
MVPs. One has appeared in the Super Bowl. Yep. One would like to appear. One has a little bit of playoff success. It, it, right. One would like <laughs> to appear in the Super Bowl, whether it's in a Ravens uniform or not. But is, is that a good comparison? Uh, Lamar Jackson to Cam Newton because Cam Newton priced himself out of the NFL. I think Cam at his best was a lot better than Lamar at his best. At least, I mean, as a passer, it's not really close when Cam was at his best. I, and you can compl- I mean, the complaint around Lamar often is, uh, oh, he hasn't had the help at receiver. Well, neither did Cam when he won MVP in 2015. <laughs> he did who it with the, his legs. I mean, who was the leading receiver on that team? Ted Ginn or something? I mean, <laughs> so, I mean so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take peak Cam over, over peak Lamar, but that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't really mean much in the year of 2023. So, I, I mean, I, I saw a couple videos from the pro day today. It seems like maybe his arm is in better shape than it was a few years ago. I, I think he can be a legitimate backup. I really do. And, I mean, if you're in push-come-to-shove situation, which we've seen many yeah. times in the NFL, when you're down, just ask the Miami Dolphins, when you get down to your third and then you, your fourth-string quarterback who just so happens to be another position player on your roster, if Cam Newton's ready, do you do you sign him? And if Cam Newton is willing to sign as a backup, go right ahead. And by all means, find him. But I just think the system has to fit him. I thought an interesting question in the app early. It wasn't even a question. I thought more of a definitive statement. Someone was comparing, like, would you rather bring in Cam right now or would you rather bring in Andrew Luck right now? I don't even think it's close. If you're telling me, like, I need a starting quarterback week one and I can bring him in right now and have him work out all offseason with the team, I'm taking Andrew Luck over Cam Newton a million times out of a million right now. And I know Luck's been out of the game for a bit longer. At least Andrew Luck was a good quarterback the last time he was on an NFL field. You can't say the same for Cam Newton. Well, it's not every day you have a league MVP that's seven years removed from being the league's MVP and seven years removed from having an opportunity to play in a Super Bowl. Do I think, again, Cam is that franchise guy? No, absolutely I don't. I don't think he's that franchise guy. Now, was he that franchise guy in 2015? Absolutely he was. 2016, absolutely he was. Without question, he was. Now, Cam Newton, uh, uh, someone in the app says Auburn would take him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, qu- I'm, I'm quite sure they would love him to have that one more be, year of eligibility. That would be electric. <laughs> but, but him showing up today for Auburn's pro day, I think that that really, you're, you're in front of NFL scouts. If why not? If you're Cam Newton and if you're an NFL scout and you want to see or learn more about Cam Newton to see if he still has the juice in the tank, what better place to do it than at the pro day? I mean, you don't think there's a little bit, just a little bit. Let me see if I can get you to concede here a little bit of an element of, all right, Cam, it's Auburn's pro day. There are kids here trying to make the NFL, and oh man, Cam Newton's throwing. The suddenly Auburn's pro day is all about Cam Newton. It's just, I mean, I just think it's a little bit lame on his part. If Auburn had another quarterback. I mean, th- if he had another quarterback, it'd be unacceptable. Th- then then I'll probably, I, I would say no. But because who, who else did Auburn? I mean, you do have schools. I know plenty of HBCUs that 
don't get garner the attention. They go to the bigger or neighboring power five yeah. schools and they jump on board. The difference is Cam's already had an opportunity and this will be his second merry-go-round if he's able to make a roster. And I really do think if Cam decides to go ahead and say, look, I'm willing to hold a clipboard and I'm willing to follow a franchise. I just don't think he's willing to hold a clipboard. And, again, I, I don't blame him for that. If I'm Cam, I'm not willing to hold a clipboard either. But at the same time, I'm also realistic and understanding I'm not a starting quarterback in this league anymore. Might be time for me to just officially say I'm done. Has Cam always been the type of player to where it's all about him? Is that the type of player Cam is? Or is he a team player? I think, I, I think that – Again, it's going to matter what franchise is willing to take an opportunity. Because I listed some of the backups in the NFL yeah. in 2022 rosters. And I know I know that Cam Newton still throws the ball better than him. He definitely runs better than some of the guys that I listed off. So I still think that he can get it done from a backup situation. And what he could teach others on the roster. That's how he could prove that it's not all about me. Heck, Mac Jones was teaching him the playbook rookie his during his rookie camp. You remember well, that headline that came out? Mac Jones is is a different type of of scientist. The same he, way he, he does have a very high. Greg McElroy is both but, both of those guys are, are different different type of mindset. And, and I I think the label that's thrown on Cam that he's like uh, not a team player and and a look at me. I I think there's a small element of that, but it does seem like guys in the locker room like him. I I think I think it's unfair to say, you know, call him a selfish player or anything. I I think that is unfair. But yeah. I mean, you know, the the outfits, it's all a bit much. Like I don't I just don't want that out of my backup quarterback, man. I think you're getting the same if not better production from most of the backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I just don't need the distraction of Cam Newton on my I, team I just in 2023. I don't think he would be a distraction. I think he would bring that extra element to where when his name was called, he would be like, aha, I told you so, and, and <laughs> let back. his play. Yeah, I'm back, exactly. He would open up that chest, yeah, and remember. you would see that Superman up under him again the way he did with the Carolina Panthers. And I, I just I would love to see him get an opportunity to hold a clipboard, and if someone got injured, for him to have an opportunity to be one of the 32. And I know that on the other side of this break, we, we've seen what happens in the NFL when athletic trainers are on their job. Well, this entire month of March has been National Athletic Trainers Month. And we'll have an athletic trainer joining us next to talk about it. They don't get a lot of the glory, but let something go wrong or let you need a player to get back into the rotation or be injured and see how blessed it is to have a trainer on site and on the facility that you're training for. We'll have an athletic trainer coming up next year on the final drive. Hey, this is David Morris of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And again, March, if you're unaware, it is National 
Athletic Training Month. And Trainers Month is very important to all those involved in the sport of any athletic event, just as DeMar Hamlin, how important it is to have an athletic trainer and qualified athletic trainers on site and someone who's done an outstanding job at UMS Wright for the last 24 years. If I'm not mistaken, it is year number 24, and if it's not, he can correct me, but he's done an outstanding job for all the UMS Wright Bulldogs family and has been a part of every Terry Curtis state championship game there's been. It's been right there on the sidelines tending to the athletes at UMS Wright. And you have to remember, UMS Wright, when they start off as a 3A or 4A school, not a lot of bodies and that means a lot of players playing both ways, so they must take care of their bodies. And head athletic trainer Stacy Harrelson takes care of the athletes at UMS Wright. And Stacy, I just wanted to give you a call today and thank you for the outstanding job that you do as March is a very special month for all athletic trainers. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It is a special month, and, um, you know, athletic trainers in general, they don't, you know, they're kind of behind the scenes, and um, so it is a good month to kind of recognize those guys and myself, you know, um, so, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, you know, you've been a part of winning championships at UMS, right? And I mentioned that a lot of student-athletes across multiple sports that have won those blue maps and have had an opportunity to be state runner-ups as well, they have to come through your rehabilitation process when they're injured, even to prevent injuries. And that's the biggest thing that I think you've done a wonderful job of is preventing injuries. And when those injuries do occur, getting those student-athletes to the correct doctors or specialists to help them out. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest part of it, you know, making sure they get to the right doctor the first time and, um, you know, getting them back and, you know, you know, really allowing the athletic trainers to kind of guide those um, athletes back to um, getting back on the field when they can and not putting a blanket statement on them. You know, you're out for six weeks or eight weeks because um, every athlete is different. You know, every injury is different. So, you know, um, being able to, you know, push these kids to do things that they don't otherwise think they can do. You know, sometimes these kids are just hurting. And, um, you know, and um, being able to push them to do things they just don't think they can otherwise do is a big part of it. And I think that's been a big thing at UMS. You know, these kids, are, um, <laughs> you know, you, you've been around there, Corey. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have, uh, quote, unquote, athletes all the time, but these kids are tough. And they play when they uh, don't feel good, and um, and they're very well coached, and um, um, and, and it's uh, it's paid off um, at UMS. I mean, they've you know, had a lot of championships there in my career there in 25 years, and. Um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. We're speaking with Stacy Harrelson, who is the head athletic trainer at UMS Wright. And Stacy's also currently the regional director of Encore Sports Medicine. And Encore does a phenomenal job at the Super 7 as well as the basketball finals of 
if a team comes, because a lot of these smaller schools, 1A and 2A, they don't have an athletic trainer on staff. And when there is some type of injury, whether it be at the Super 7 or at the Basketball State Finals in Birmingham, you guys are always Johnny on the spot to help the student athlete to diagnose it and to help them to recover and get better as well. Yeah, that's correct. We've been doing that. You know, we've been a corporate sponsor for the state for, um, I guess, 20 years now, 20, 21 years. And we're there, you know, we're there to provide assistance if needed or step in when schools, you know, have a void and they don't have an athletic trainer to cover them during these events. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a member of the medical advisory um, board for the state of Alabama, Alabama High School Athletic um, you know, it's it's one of the things that we actually talked about in our last meeting in February that, that there's so many schools that don't have athletic trainers. And you talk about 400-plus schools in the state of Alabama. There's probably close to 200 schools that don't have an athletic trainer. So, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get these schools an athletic trainer, and it's it's a challenge. It really is. And, and that's the biggest thing that when you start looking at when we all saw Monday Night Football and DeMar Hamlin go down and the team surround them and we knew it was a medical emergency, there's been several medical emergencies that have occurred, whether it's at Spanish Ford or really in the summertime with the heat stroke and the symptoms and making sure that you take care of them. Some of the most severe, of course, are cardiac arrest, but having the devices in place at the schools is so very important to where if heat stroke or if cardiac arrest does take place, that they have defibrillators in place that can save these student athletes. Well, absolutely. I mean, these, um, you know, having an athletic training on site is very vital. You know, the good thing that the, the Alabama High School Athletic Association has done is, is making sure all these coaches are trained in this because there's a void in athletic trainers across the state and covering these schools. So, um, you know, you got to have all these measures in place and having an uh, emergency action plan in place um, so that when an event like this does happen, you know, they know how to take care of it. You know, most of the things that we take care of are not life-threatening. You know, kids are getting hurt. But, you know, when we have a heat illness or a cardiac, you know, situation, we got to have a plan in place at these schools to be able to take care of it. And the number one plan is to have an athletic trainer on site so that um, so that you do have somebody licensed and uh, trained and, and taking care of this to, to put these emergency action plans in, 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 in place. So, you know, it's something we're working on. And, um, um you know, hopefully in the near future, we, we can come up with a plan to have athletic trainers at all the schools in the state of Alabama. There are states out there, you know, Texas and I think California and, and you know, many other states out there that um, it's a state law that they have to have an athletic trainer on site at these schools. And, you know, if we can come up with a plan, you know, all these schools budget for principals and athletic directors and coaches and teachers. You know, we need to figure out a way to be able to budget for athletic trainers at these schools for, you know, to, to keep these kids safe because 
you know, for a company like us, Encore, it's tough to do that, you know, to be able to financially afford to put an athletic trainer at every school because, you know, we're we're taking on that, that expense and we got to be able to somehow recoup it. And um, it's tough to do, but, you know, we're working on it. And hopefully we come up with a, a plan to do that. Well, I tell you what, Stacy Harrelson, the athletic trainer, the head athletic trainer at UMS Wright, has done a phenomenal job in his 25 years there. He's seen multiple, multiple, multiple championships won across the board in every sport at UMS, right? And I just wanted to take this time, and I'll be speaking with another trainer later on this week, to thank you guys, as this is National Athletic Training Month, to thank you for all the work that you do behind the scenes. And it's kind of, I see all the guts, but I get none of the glory, but the glory is seeing your student athletes be able to participate for the schools that Encore provides training for and the great job that you do at UMS, right? I know that you've looked out for me personally when I was coaching there, so I can't thank you enough for not only taking care of me, but all the wonderful student athletes that grace the halls of UMS, right, and being a part of the Super 7 and the finals events in Birmingham for basketball and Continue to do the great job, Stacy. Well, I appreciate it. I really do. That's um, awful nice of you. Stacy Harrelson joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Again, if you know a trainer, thank a trainer. National Athletic Training Month. It is this entire month of March, and I just want to continue to, again, with in the enlightenment of DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest, to continue to bring the spotlight to trainers and the importance of having trainers on site and what they can do and how they can change lives as well. We are coming back here on the final drive for our final segment of this Tuesday. We've had an outstanding show and hope that you'll tune in to the podcast and we'll talk about how you can tune into the podcast coming up next on the other side of the final drive. Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Braun are bringing you home on this Tuesday evening. And we want to thank everyone for tuning in to what was an outstanding show today. Terrence McCutcheon. He has an opportunity to take his Division II women's basketball team to the national championship game. And Terrence McCutcheon was a former LaFleur High School basketball star, graduated in 1997, and again is playing for the national semifinals in Division II women's basketball. You can watch that game tomorrow night on CBS Sports. And I love the fact that Terrence is doing an outstanding job and representing his family very well. Chris Gordy joined us at 4 o'clock. Tim Brando at 4.30 if you want to go back and listen to that interview along with Stacey Harrelson, the head athletic trainer for the UMS Wright Bulldogs. A great show today. Mike, how can people go back and listen to all our great podcasts that are available. And same place as always, search WNSP now, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get 
uh, the opening kickoff. You can get our show, The Final Drive. You can get the John Ricchetti Golf Show. You can get Inside Alabama Racing. You can get Nick Wiggins and Stephen Root on the double team talking NBA. You, if you just can't get enough of my beautiful silky radio voice you can get me talking more nfl on the throw it deep podcast with owen McEnroe as well uh lots of good stuff over again search wnsp now wherever you get your podcast and nick and i's brackets we, we don't have to do a redo tim brando said he had to rip his up and he's going to take a third shot at it but you and i both have alabama in the final four i had marquette houston and gonzaga you had Alabama, Duke, UCLA, and Texas. So, again, our brackets feeling still... Le- feeling less confident about uh, that Texas pick. Uh, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how it goes. Houston, half from Houston. Houston is getting it done, and Sasser's playing great basketball. So, we'll see exactly where our Final Four brackets are going to stand when it's all said and done. And, again, we talked a little bit about Brandon Miller. Not a finalist for the Naismith National Player of the Year. Zach Eady, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, Jaden Wilson from Kansas, and Drew Timmy are the four representatives for the Naismith National Player of the Year. Brandon Miller is not. I still don't understand that, and I know he's going to continue to get other accolades as they continue to run in, but the Naismith basketball player or the national player of the year is what Brandon Miller really deserves because he's going to be the first collegiate player drafted in the NBA draft. And I think his numbers, especially if he continues to thrive for Alabama, speak for itself. That's why I wish the voting for these awards weren't done until the season was over. What did Zach Eady give you? <laughs> well, I a mean, historic upset. <laughs> well, there. I mean, there's a separate most outstanding player of the tournament, and I th- Final Four might have it. So there's too many awards in college basketball. But which it, is an it, it should still discussion. be for your whole body of work. Yeah, for your entire body of work from I, the it, beginning of the season to the end. Admittedly, you know, there's no award in even professional sports that includes playoffs and or the postseason. That, like the NFL MVP, for example, is a quote unquote regular season award. Like the Heisman Trophy is a. Re- I guess uh, you know the conference championships are included in that as well. But you know the college Bryce Young didn't win. The, the Heisman Trophy in the college football playoff. It, it, so I understand why that's a regular season award. It's just, you know, there's the separate tournament most outstanding player, Final Four most outstanding player, the Naismith, the Wooden, uh, Conference most outstanding. There's a lot of awards in college basketball. It gets a bit tough to follow. Again, condolences to Willis Reed and all the New York Knickerbocker fans who really enjoyed watching him play, especially in the 1970 NBA Finals when he played against the Lakers, returned without the fans knowing in one of the loudest ovations that Marv Albert said he ever heard in one of the biggest events that Marv Albert said he covered in his tenure as a broadcaster. Willis Reed passes away at the age of 80 and we touched today about Nick Saban and Nate Oates comments Nate Oates making the comments about a month and a half ago Nick Saban says look he's holding players accountable for being in the wrong place at the wrong time and Nate Oates had a little bit of a different tale on that about a month and a half ago but we all continue to learn and I guarantee that I don't feel he threw him under the bus but We'll see how it continues to play itself out as spring practice continues to unfold across the country as well. You're listening 
to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Look forward to again seeing you and talking with you again tomorrow where we'll have Kane Womack, head football coach at South Alabama, John Neighbors, Nick Roush, and Eric Kane all scheduled to join us tomorrow on the final drive.